So one of the most powerful statements you should ever hear from your provider, doctor, nutritionist is, I don't know. Or even better, I don't know that, but I'd be willing to look it up, do a little research, try and figure that out, or help you find somebody who can, or work with you together to find that person and help coordinate that so you get the right help. The most problematic thing is when somebody has the arrogance to say they know everything. Welcome to the Menopause Mastery Podcast, a show for women just like you who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, living life with a purpose. I created this show because I knew that women just like me in this second season of life, the season of menopause, are really tapping into their deepest desires. And we're ready to harness our physical and mental health and explore what our true passions are and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what we want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking the complex science and making it easier to integrate into daily life. So let's join the journey to make this season the best ever. Welcome back to Menopause Mastery. So today I want to talk about the things you should look for in a medical and healthcare provider. I spend an incredible amount of time either speaking with people who listen to my podcast, people online, on my social media, and particularly inside my clinic. Because in my clinic, I see people from all over the United States. And so I get to hear experiences of their experiences of healthcare. And in many cases, I'm pretty frustrated by what I hear. And so I decided today that I was going to give you... The five things that you either want to hear from your doctor or know about, but you could have a better experience with your healthcare providers. And this could apply to your nutrition specialist, your therapist, or anybody in this system. The truth is when people are seeking healthcare and they are seeking anything, whether it's a disease state and they're trying to get treatment or prevention, ultimately, this is a personal experience for you. This is your body, your mind, your emotional state, and it should be treated as such. This is not a authoritarian environment where you get to go turn over your agency to someone else. I think there's a lot of things that happen because our medical system has been basically hijacked by dozens of middlemen companies that basically dictate the experience between the provider, the person who went to school to do what it is you're going to seek them for, their expertise, and you have insurance companies and idiots sitting in cubicles that are making decisions about your health care that know nothing about you other than some crap from your medical record and their checklist as to whether they're going to actually get it covered. And this has ruined what I think medicine was was before the 80s, before managed care kicked in, it really ruined that experience. And to be honest, my father-in-law was an orthopedic surgeon and he was actually head of surgery at MD Anderson before he retired. And one of the things he said to my husband, his son, was that managed care would destroy medicine, would destroy the experience because it was basically taking away the relationship between the provider and the patient and that individualized experience. So I'm going to walk through what you want to look for in your practitioner. So I would say the first and foremost thing is the idea that your practitioner is your partner. My parents' generation in particular, my mom's 88 going on 89, there was this very much the doctors on a pedestal experience that it was a dictatorial experience and that what the doctor said goes. So at that point, you turned over everything to them and whatever they said was, was the gospel. And at that point, you just turned over your responsibility. They took your agency and they told you what you needed to do. And in some cases, maybe those things are appropriate. There might be occasions where we need the expert to really give us the lowdown. But in most cases, when we look at what we get sick and die from, particularly in the United States and all westernized environments, 
for the most part, are diseases of diet and lifestyle. So the truth is that dictatorial experience can't do crap about something that's diet and lifestyle. Because at the end of the day, you have to be able to make changes in those things like diet and lifestyle to prevent those diseases. And that requires you to feel supported and have agency and have the tools you need in order to actually do those things, right? Whether it's a dietary change to help with prediabetes or it's appropriate exercise to help with aging and putting on muscle mass for osteoporosis, all of those things, whatever that is, that requires you to do something at home. So that dictatorial, I'm in charge, listen to me behavior that still permeates medicine is absolutely worthless and actually counterproductive because most people walk out of those experiences so frustrated that they don't even want to take anything that came out of that experience and use it. And then I would say the other side of that is we know medical schools still, very few medical schools have any in-depth training in medical professions for nutrition. So usually the answer you get is really contrite and offensive, like you need to exercise more and eat less. So that's completely unnecessary and not helpful. But the other side of it is the situation that doctors and providers are in with their patients is it doesn't provide for a real relationship to have that conversation. So even if they wanted to, you can't do that in an average seven-minute visit, which is the current average for medical visits in the United States today. So the first thing I would say, if you have an experience with your provider that is authoritarian and dictatorial and that is not working for you, you can say no. You can choose another one. So this is like cheating on your hairdresser. You can just go ahead and pick up and move. They don't own you. You don't have to see them and you don't have to put up with it because you are in partnership with that provider and it's your body. So I would say that's really important. And the other part is I always look for that empathy and bedside manner. So if you were to go out and look online and look at the experience people have, if you look for the top things they get mad about, often it's that bedside manner. It's the dismissive, the cold, the gaslighting. It seems rushed because again, you got to remember this medical system, if you are in the insurance-based medical system in the United States, regardless of what healthcare plan, you are in a throughput model, which is built on efficiency and just generating as many people within the practice a day and billing as efficiently and effectively as possible. It is not about giving high quality patient care. Even the doctors that are stuck in this, because I talk to doctors every day, and I can tell you the Wall Street Journal posted a article before COVID. So this was a survey they did. And only 6% of physicians that they interviewed, and there was thousands, actually said medicine was a good industry to go into. And it wasn't because they didn't want to care for people. It was the business side of it, right? So that rushed lack of bedside manner, often it's not the provider that's doing it, but it is the environment and the business of medicine that is doing it. But here's the thing. You are the customer. The other thing I've said many times, because I've trained providers to put functional medicine in their practice, and we did that for a decade on top of everything else that I was doing. And I remember standing up on stage one day and I said, hey, I want to tell you all that medicine is customer service industry. And this doctor jumped up. Her face was bright red, like tomato red, and she was that I would degrade the profession of medicine to call it a customer service industry. And it is because you as the patient get to choose what kind of quality and experience of care in many cases if you have the agency to do that, right? Now, there are definitely people with economic disparity and accessibility to healthcare that is a huge problem, which could be a whole nother series of podcasts. But if you're in a situation where you have providers and you're, you're seeing people, you can easily say, I don't need to put up with that behavior and move on. Right. Because this is a customer service industry and you should be in partnership. Right. So a, a really good care provider is going to sit down and say, what goals are you looking to achieve? What what things are important to you? And then share what they find 
based on labs tests and all this other stuff and then start marrying their responsibility because we got to face it your medical provider actually takes legal responsibility for your health care so let me give an example if somebody was an md and they run a blood test let's say a fasting blood sugar on somebody as a new patient and let's say the blood sugar comes back at 500 which is extraordinary right and so they're re legally responsible to track that patient down so if that patient doesn't call back if that patient blows off their visit they are responsible for tracking that person down in some way shape or form and informing them of that dangerous blood sugar level because it could be deadly it could be damaging it could be permanently damaging and if they can't track that person down they have to fire them because they take legal responsibility for your care so there is a legal responsibility part that puts your physicians in particular into a precarious position but again it's still a partnership and you can easily choose to go to a different place if you've got some of that agency and of course I'm making several assumptions that people at least have the agency to choose but the vast majority of Americans can and will right as long as they don't feel like they're cheating on their hairdresser slash doctor right so the empathy and bedside manner is also really important the other thing that I think about on this too is the idea of informed consent so informed consent actually has a crucial it's got crucial legalities around it and it is a requirement for any clinician is to provide informed consent on any medication and procedure but I can tell you right now that gets glossed over all the time. I had a conversation with a woman in the office last week and she had been diagnosed with ductal carcinoma in situ. I'm not going to get into a breast cancer conversation, but they immediately started pressuring her into a lumpectomy and chemotherapy. Like immediately they, you have to do something right now. You got to get it treated. You got to do this. You got to do this. Let's schedule your surgery next week. Let's schedule your chemo immediately on the heels of that. Within two weeks, she was like into the chemo chair and they were pressuring her to move forward and intuitively emotionally she wasn't ready to make those decisions and but she felt like the entire practice the physician everybody and it was a stage one right everybody which is considered not really cancerous but everybody was pressuring her into this basically volley of six months to a year of treatment and she needed to just deal right she just needed to have the emotional experience of I just got diagnosed with something that is considered very frightening and scary and I need to deal with the emotions of that so I can make decisions from a place of discernment, right? Because anybody that's in the middle of trauma, because that's a traumatic experience, can't make good decisions. So the first off is informed consent is required, and it also requires adequate time for the patient to find out and understand, grasp, process, and make a decision. So there's the speed in which the expectation is. Now, obviously, if you have a car accident and you have a broken leg, those decisions need to come very quickly. But I think in medicine, and particularly in some things like cancer, there's this overwhelming sledgehammer to a finishing nail experience that happens, that it's like everything gets treated as if it's going to kill you in the next week. And that's not necessarily true. And I think people get shuttled into decision making before they're ready to process it. And they don't always know what informed consent is. So the first thing I would say is if you're feeling pressured, like speed pressured by your practitioner, especially if this is not a mission critical, life critical diagnosis or things like that, you have the ability to slow that down. You have the ability to say, you know what? Oh, please, I need to process this. I might go get a second opinion or a third opinion. You're not the only one I'm going to talk to about it. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to have questions. So you can slow the bus. But let me go into informed consent because this is important because th these are legal terms that are required. And it doesn't happen because I even had another doctor tell me at a conference that she was so sick and tired of people looking up the medications that she prescribed because they were getting their information off Dr. Google and they needed to quit reading the inserts in the box and then looking online at what it said. And I was like, aren't you supposed to do informed consent when you prescribe that in the room? 
so they understand the benefits and risks and other procedures that are potentially available to them. And she didn't really like that question. So what does it really mean? So full disclosure requires that the healthcare provider give the patient all the key details about whatever treatment procedure medication. This includes what it is, why it's needed, how it's done, the risks and benefits. Here's the big one. The risks and benefits. It's not just the big stuff. Even the smaller risks and alternatives need to be discussed. So even if you have a procedure coming up, I'll give a really good example since this is popular. Let's say somebody's thinking about gastric bypass surgery. So they're talking to their surgeon and they're talking about how much weight will I lose when I have it done? What are the complications, which there are many, and I'm not going to talk about that. But one of the part of the conversation should be at this point, outside of surgical interventions, here are some of the other medical interventions that may work as well. So maybe that physician working within the traditional model should also talk about semaglutide because those drugs have pretty good weight loss statistics behind it in a conventional model. Now, I'm not a huge fan of those, particularly for like quick weight loss, if you've listened to my podcast. But if you compare the just same comparison of just sheer weight loss, those drugs work really well and are less risk than a gastric bypass surgery, right? But I can guarantee you for the most part, many of the surgeons are not going to give you a non-surgical potential alternative treatment. So full disclosure is required. That means they should explain it to you. They should explain it. They have to explain it in regular English terms, right? So they shouldn't be using a bunch of jargon. They shouldn't be using a bunch of medical terminology. They need to give it in a way that you understand it. So they can't just throw up. So we have to make sure as providers, whether we're nutrition providers like myself or medical providers, that we're providing that language in a way you understand. One of the things that my clients always say, whether they're people in my programs that are being taught about what their hormones mean or they're in my clinic, is one of the things I pride myself on is I can take very technical, very hard to understand biochemistry concepts and information about somebody's own individual care and explain it in a way that they can understand. They may not be able to regurgitate it the same way I do, but they can grasp it. If now send, they're like, got it. I got what you mean. So your provider needs to do that without doing jargon. Voluntary, right? So informed consent also means that it's voluntary. You're not being coerced. You have to give it freely and there should be no pressure or coercion. You should be able to feel free to say yes or no. The patient I was talking about that had been diagnosed with that breast cancer, actually, let me say Dr. Carcinoma in situ, stage one. She she felt like she was being coerced and pressured to make a decision very quickly. Quite frankly, her exact statement to me was like, it felt like they just wanted to make sure I got everything scheduled because they needed to get the money in before the end of the month. I don't know if that was true, but I told her, you can get a second opinion. You can slow that bus down. You can put your hand up and say, I make the decisions about my health care and I want to discuss all options and all alternatives before I go down that road. And the alternative conversation also has to include things that provider doesn't do. For instance, let's say, like I said, like the Wagovi semaglutide potential in a medical intervention instead of a gastric bypass. But they also may want to say you could choose to do diet and lifestyle, work out with a trainer, meet with a nutritionist, and really hammer home that health healthy lifestyle pieces and achieve weight loss. That should be part of the conversation because that is an alternative, even though it's not a medical intervention, but it is a sound researched alternative. So it needs to include all alternative options, right, within the options. The capacity. So the other thing is 
Again, if they're using jargon and they're using a bunch of language you don't understand, you may not understand it enough or be mentally able to make an informed decision, right? If I give you a bunch of acronyms, so I'll give you a good example. I used to be in IT and we had one guy that we work with, Jeff, that he was a sweet guy, but if he could put more acronyms together, his entire sentences were like acronym driven, but he would go into meetings and do that. And people would just say yes to him because they had no idea what he was saying, but it was intimidating to go, what the hell are you talking about, Jeff? And so people would just agree. And I, I'd be in the back of the room going, they don't even know that he just basically said nothing and nothing was going to get done because it was also a, a snow job because things weren't happening on time. But the reality is you have to have the capacity. So if you don't understand something or if somebody's explaining something to you or somebody you love and they don't understand it, somebody needs to be there who can be authorized and or understand it well enough to help you make a decision. One of the things that I love when I work with my clients and patients, and especially within our clinic, is I love it when people bring another person in. Now, sometimes we have a few minutes in the room by ourselves so people can be frank and honest, but I always say it's great to have another set of ears and great to have another mouth, right? Because at the end of the day, A, that person probably has an experience of your health that you may not remember or whatever, or they might have a better memory of it. And then they also hear what you here. So you've got two sets of ears that are listening. But the other side of it is they also help make sure that you understand what the next steps are or what's happening. It doesn't mean you have to, but it's definitely something that I know some of my medical friends don't like. You know, they don't want a bunch of people sitting in the room with them because they don't want that additional sort of clustering of opinions and other things. The other thing is we're required to document this. So our job is to document that informed consent was achieved, that what the discussion actually had. So it's in the medical records, it just says consent was given, discussed, whatever. But truly, honestly, it should say what the discussion said. So it should be clear to anybody who read the medical record after the fact what the discussion was, right? What the options were, what the patient decided, what the practitioner said. But a lot of times they only document that for medical purposes for reimbursement and CYA, which is cover your ass. And this is a continuous process. So the other thing that's really important about informed consent is is one time is not the only time. Informed consent is in that moment. It's not just one and done. So this is an ongoing conversation. So even if you were given a medication to be treated for something, when you re-up, let's say you get some new labs and you're looking at it again or whatever, it's still in your purview to have new informed consent, new discussions, and you can change your mind, right? Because at the end of the day, it's your body, not theirs. Informed consent is really important and it's a huge part of medical ethics, right? So those are all really important. So if, again, if you're not experiencing that, I think it's really important. So I want to cover two other things because this is where we start to get in the uniqueness of kind of functional medicine in particular, integrative, alternative, functional and, and integrative and alternative are not all the same, although they often coexist. So functional medicine is obviously the approach of systems biology in that lots of conditions and symptoms and other things have shared root cause, and they do. But under most circumstances, functional medicine is delivered and functional nutrition is delivered in an environment where we have more time, where we have a deeper intake, we have the ability to dig deeper. But the other thing is the concept is very broad, right? So you could look at any medical condition situation and find a systems approach, right? We're not just a heart. We are not just a lung. We are not just a stomach. 
where all those organs together and they work together. So one of the things, because I see people from all over, is I often am helping them find somebody in their own environment to work with that thinks like my team does. And at the end of the day, when you say functional medicine, it I joke that it's like ice cream, right? Because somebody might be a nutrition professional, another person might be a internal medicine doctor, another one might be a gynecologist, another one might be a gastroenterologist, a psychiatrist. All of them took the same systems biology training. So now at this point, They've got a better understanding of finding root cause. But that's when you look at it like that, they are applying it in very specified environments. So the gastroenterologist is probably going to go back and take that same concept and apply it to digestive disorders. The gynecologist is going to take it back and address reproductive and women's health disorders, right? In most cases, they're going to stay within the kind of confines of what they do. The other thing is when you're looking for that professional to help you, it's important to find out what they do and don't know, right? Because the reality is often, especially if you're in this environment, people specialize in different things, right? So they start to narrow down. So, you know, they might work with digestive stuff, right? So the leaky gut, the digestive disorders, the IBS, the SIBO, all that stuff, if you've heard those things. That's not going to be somebody that can help you with your osteoporosis probably, right? So the other thing is you have the availability in all medical environments and all healthcare providers to find out what their skill set is in the things that are important to you you and or that you are concerned with as a healthcare situation, right? So one of the most powerful statements you should ever hear from your provider, doctor, nutritionist is, I don't know. Or even better, I don't know that, but I'd be willing to look it up, do a little research, try and figure that out, or help you find somebody who can, or work with you together to find that person and help coordinate that so you get the right help. The most problematic thing is when somebody has the arrogance to say they know everything. Because here's the reality, whether you're hiring somebody to fix your electrical in your house or you're looking for somebody to help you reverse metabolic disease like pre-diabetes. You don't hire generally a handyman to rewire the electricity in your house. You might have them change out a light plate or a light switch, but you're not going to hire a handyman to do the entire house. So the reality is your healthcare provider, chances are you need somebody that's got a little deeper understanding than just a generalist in all things, right? So if your provider never ever says that, but you get the feeling that you know more than they do because you're educated in your own healthcare situation, then I would seriously consider either adding new people to your team or looking for a new team member. Because here's the reality, like I've been doing this for 20 years and people that seek out functional medicine are usually people that have not found the answers they were looking for in the conventional care. And so that means that they are pretty well educated. My clients and patients, the people that listen to my podcast, they are educated. They know about their concerns. They are very well educated in what's going on or they're getting there. And so I always tell our practitioners when we bring them on, I'm like, I don't care how much chances are that patient may know more about their problem than you do. And it is appropriate for you to admit that you don't know it as well as they do, right? But the powerful statement in that is I can do a little research. I can help join you in that process. I can apply what I know from a functional medicine standpoint and help you understand this systems biology to help you move forward in whatever condition you have, blah, blah, blah. Something like that. Your provider should be able to have the strength and resolve in their own capacity and reality to say, I don't know. And either it's not something I'm great at, but maybe I can find somebody who is, or I can be a partner with you in that process. Now, on the other side of that, a lot of people tell me that they're very frustrated with their internal medicine doctors because originally internal medicine should be your quarterback. They should be the one meeting with you on a regular basis, checking your basic labs, getting a deeper dive in what you have going on. 
really paying attention to your health and being the middleman to work with you and your specialists. But more and more, they are just a prescription writer, so just a gatekeeper to keep you from the specialist. And in many cases, like HMO, you can't see a specialist until you see that person, which is a huge barrier to care. And it's a huge barrier to getting anything done because they aren't playing that quarterback role. I haven't seen that play out very well in a long time. And I know I hear that every day from my patients is nobody's here helping me navigate between all my specialists and all the things that I have going on and helping me understand and synthesize all that jargon and information, which a lot of our patients, we play that role for them. We're just here explaining. I'm like, I'm not here to make the decision for you, but let's explain what's going on so you understand the landscape so you can have informed consent. So all that is a real important thing is if you have special concerns about your health and you're looking for a provider, either that provider should be able to get on the phone or somebody in that office should be able to get on the phone and answer whether they know about what you're trying to fix, work on, and repair. Because if they can't answer that question, then they probably don't know it well enough and they may not know it as well as you do. So especially when you look in the functional medicine community, again, we could be like Baskin Robbins or whatever ice cream store you want to come up with. There's all kinds of flavors. So there's all kinds of narrowing of focus and attention because you can't be great at everything. You just can't. I know about men's health. I know about testosterone. I'm, But I'm not the one that's going to be the person you go to for erectile dysfunction. I can talk about it in a very educated sort of way, but I haven't done a deep dive to understand every nuance to that condition. So again, if a man starts talking to me about that, I'm like, I'm going to be honest and say, this is not my absolute skill. I can give you an understanding and I can help you navigate. But I, yeah, I'm, yeah, we need somebody else on that team. So same thing. So if you're out there, if you're, if the person you work with never, ever says those things to you, it's probably a problem, particularly if they have some of the other behaviors that are, are not working for you. So I want to wrap this up with just some things to think about. So if you're searching, you're frustrated and you're like, oh, wow, she just pointed out all these things that I'm very frustrated with. And I didn't even talk about the other things like the wait time and the crappy communication and billing confusion and all that other crap and technology problems, because I hate to break it to you, but we were told a long time ago that electronic medical records would make everything easier. It just added time, honestly. Nothing is connected. We're still sending faxes. We still receive paper. We still produce paper. And outside of having it in one place, so we at least make sure that we're on, on the same page because it's in an EMR, the rest of it hasn't made it any better. And most of your providers are sitting at home doing chart notes at night when they should be spending time with their family because they can't keep up with it. Even in our clinic, when we spend an hour and a half, an hour, sometimes in my case, two hours with people, I'm still charting at home at night to get all the notes done because A, I'm charting a lot of stuff. So I'm very explicit in what's going on. So I don't lose track of what we're working on. But most of your providers are, are doing that, honestly. I didn't even talk about all those other things, right? So to recap, you want to make sure that you've got a really good partner in your corner helping you out and they've got great bedside manner and they're there being your partner and helping you navigate, that they've got an understanding of the things that are important to you, not just the conditions wrong with you, but what's important to you. If they're concerned about a healthcare thing and you're not, that's not going to get very far for you. I also think it's their job to help make sure that you have all the understanding so maybe you can begin to care about what they might care about. But again, this is a partnership. They should be able to and should always do the entire process of informed consent, including black box warnings and other things when they provide some new direction of medication, treatment, or procedure and that they don't take for granted that you're answering that today and that a year from now your answer is going to be the same because you can change your mind at any given time. And ultimately that partnership needs to be one where you've got 
somebody that's willing to say, hey, I don't really know that answer, but I'd love to help you figure it out or help you find the right person who can. I hope that this has been a helpful conversation. I hope that you can understand and appreciate the power you have, really, the power you have to have a healthcare experience that is positive for you, right? Positive in the fact that it's helping you achieve your healthcare desires and that never before have we been able to be in the driver's seat. And it's going to get more, not less. One of the beautiful things about the millennials and Gen Y and everybody else is they they don't do the pedestal white coat experience. They look at it and they go, I, I have information now at my fingertips. If I want to understand something, I can deep dive. Back in the day, we had to go to the library and bust out the Dewey Decimal System and look up a book. But young people today, they have access to lots and lots of data. So they're not playing this game. So medicine is in for an overhaul. And we see it going through this overhaul now, but it's getting more and more all the time. And you are in the driver's seat now. Thank you for listening to Metapause Mastery. We'll be back next week. If you found this to be a fabulous podcast, please leave me a review or and share it with a friend. And don't forget to subscribe. All those things help us reach more people and get our message out to the millions of women who need help. There's over 120 million by 2025 that will be in menopause in the U.S. That's a lot of us. You guys have a great day and I'll see you next next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Menopause Mastery Podcast. You are why I'm here and I am so very grateful. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode has helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD and you can reach me online at bettymurray.com. 